0: You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing Podcast.
1: Hi, I'm David Manty, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing Podcast. With me today are Anna Wells and Jeff Rankey. We each have more than 15 years covering the manufacturing industry. We work for Manufacturing.net and in Industrial Equipment News, and every week on the podcast, we take the five most popular stories on the website and discuss the implications they have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could help us out a lot by liking the video on YouTube or leaving us a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Anna, how are you doing this week?
0: I have to say number 36 was the one where you got that thing totally right. Mm -hmm. start to finish. That was your best intro. I'm excited. This is going to be a good podcast.
1: Starting with a compliment from Anna. I'm scared as to where it's (laughs) going from here. Um, (laughs) We are also live, so make sure to ask questions uh, if you have any when they come up. Uh, Jeff, we also received a shipment of Today in Manufacturing t-shirts. So I was thinking maybe we'd give some away. That'd be awesome. Sounds good. So, I want to suggest that we give to the first twenty people that email us this week, we give out free T-shirts. Why are we I not like wearing it. the T-shirts? Because we're not those people. Oh, okay. We, I wear them at home. It's like they're, they're pretty sweet. Yeah, I like them. Yeah. yeah between no, the one, t-
0: no one gave me a T-shirt.
1: Okay, we're gonna give away twenty-one T-shirts <laughs> t- <laughs> <laughs> this week. One's going to Anna. I'll, uh, I'll email <laughs> and you and later. She, she started yeah. with she started with a compliment, and now she's just mad. Back to Anna. Yeah. Back to regular <laughs> Anna. <laughs> Uh, Jeff, how are you doing this week? Awesome, awesome. All right, very good. Let's jump into our first story this week. Our first story, Nam says China remains a hub of bad behaviors. On Monday, U.S. Trade Representative Ambassador Catherine Tai took a shot at China's trade practices. She said, quote, Our objective is not to inflame trade tensions with China, but above all else, we must defend to the hilt our economic interests. In response, the National Association of Manufacturers President and CEO Jay Timmons released a statement. It, <clears throat> in it, he said, quote, China is not following through on important commitments made in the 2020 U.S.-China Phase 1 agreement. And it also remains a hub of bad behaviors, from intellectual property theft to market-distorting industrial subsidies that harm manufacturers and their employees here in the United States. He says manufacturers need a holistic and pragmatic approach to our relationship with China. And he was pleased that the Biden administration's approach reflects key priorities for manufacturers in the U.S. Jeff, what were your thoughts on Jay Timmons' statement? I think the more aggressive we can be in addressing this trade imbalance, the
2: better so mm-hmm. it's great to see um uh, n a w come or excuse me n a m come damn come out and, and make these types of statements in looking at it, I did not realize the scope i mean it's like a four x Difference in terms of what we import to China as opposed to what we buy from them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're looking at 105 versus 450 billion Mm -hmm. dollars—huge difference. Now, we have trade imbalances with a number of other countries as well. China is obviously the the largest, but when we look at like the EU, it's still 150 billion dollar deficit there as well. Really doesn't get any type of. Coverage notoriety is not as big. Obviously, it's, it's half as much. Mm-hmm. But I think the other things that they're talking about here, these behaviors that we do encounter trying to compete within the Chinese market are what makes this such a big and ongoing news story and what makes it really a big political um, topic as well. I know we've we've talked to plenty of people in a lot of different markets. The IP violations and having to worry about your intellectual property and your designs not being compromised, copied, basically stolen mm-hmm. is, is enormous. And I don't know the work around there because you are dealing also with a lot of companies doing that IP theft or some of those bad behaviors. Excuse me. <clears throat> They're state-owned companies. Mm-hmm. When you look at the top 10 exporters out of China, six of them are – basically Mm -hmm. Mm government-owned. So there's a lot of currency manipulation we've talked about in China as well. A lot of things that normal companies would have to deal with in terms of costs, these companies do not. Mm -hmm. The government looks the other way because it's their company and Mm -hmm. it gives them an unfair advantage, obviously. So addressing all of those things, the more pressure we can continue to put on China with these types of agreements, the better. I think one thing that was also kind of interesting in looking at the statement from um, from the, U- the U.S. trade representative ambassador is she brought about, or there was at least a reference made to the fact that the Biden administration is going to hold China more accountable mm-hmm. than previous. I think they have to be careful there. Okay, mm-hmm. The one thing that, and I was trying to figure a way to tiptoe around this, but I disagreed with President Trump on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I did agree with a lot of stuff he put in place. And going after this imbalance and talking about trade with China. Mm-hmm. And really in 2019, because let's throw out 2020, it was a weird year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the lowest level of this deficit mm-hmm. since 2014. And when you looked at the Obama administration, in every year but one, that deficit increased. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe Biden was the vice president during that time. Mm-hmm. So this is something he should have a great familiarity with. His track record is not great So I do hope the administration continues to pursue a lot of those strategies that Mm -hmm. Trump did put in place going forward.
1: Anna, one of the things uh, that I've heard about ever since we started in this industry is about that IP theft. And I feel like it's almost become not a running joke, but you hear it so many times about how when somebody comes out with a new design, like, oh, it's just a matter of time before it's stolen and reproduced in China anyways. I feel like it's almost, uh, I don't want to say become a punchline, but it's become sort of like a a cost of doing business.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of distrust. I think when, when American companies talk about dealing with China, um, we're seeing more of that, I think, um, I'm impressed with Jay Timmons lately. I think he's taken some pretty firm stances on behalf of NAM, and he's been very public. Um, he's You see him on a lot of mainstream news channels talking about manufacturing issues, and he's not afraid to speak to both sides of the aisle, which yeah. I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, another uh, organization that I think has really been kind of raising in prominence and getting their name out there is the Reshoring Initiative. hmm and I think that some of this distrust with China and reshoring is kind of going hand in hand. Um, we recently ran a story about the record level of reshoring that's actually taking place right now. It appears that American companies are kind of putting their money where their mouths are, because in 2020, I think there was a lot of lip service around, we're going to bring some of these supply chains back um, because of that stuff like IP theft that you mentioned, because of the slowdowns, because of the shortages, things like that. Um the reshoring initiative believes that the rate of jobs that are coming back from China specifically, which placed number seven on their list of reshoring, um, with Korea being number one, mm-hmm. they think that the the number of jobs coming back from China is actually being underreported. And mm-hmm. back to your point about the state-owned businesses, obviously there's a lot of sort of opaque language that comes along with this. You don't know how forthright like they're being uh, with that number, China. Um, it's highly possible it's much higher America's distrust with China, I think has been intensifying over the years Um, with NAM now saying that they're not following through on their commitments and they need to be held accountable. I think that um, it's just another example of the kind of behavior that's been driving this reshoring for years. Um, Companies are becoming fed up with these delays, the quality issues, the tariffs, the human rights abuses, the IP theft. Mm -hmm. Um, And the pandemic has kind of compounded some of these threats. So um, more manufacturers, I think seem to be reaching their tipping point. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's an amalgamation of all these issues, just kind of at once, and mm-hmm. we're reaching a point of maybe um, no return.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, a lot of people just they want to get their supply chains out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we'll see more of this. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think initially people thought we'll see if companies actually follow through with trying to shorten those supply chains and make some changes because people talked about it forever oh yeah especially the yeah. ip theft as oh, you yeah. mentioned you know people talked about that forever like oh we can't keep doing this it's just a matter of time before this design gets ripped off and there's nothing i could do about it you know mm-hmm. people are doing something about it now
1: yeah um, well it's i mean to your point there are so many other factors now beyond ip theft and you know a common problem we always heard was like Uh, the language barrier when you're working with, uh, companies overseas, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those used to be two of the biggest pain points, but now it's, you know, people just can't get product into the U S and
0: it was hard before with customs. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they would hold onto those shipments for a really long time Mm -hmm. for regulatory reasons or inspections or whatever tariffs. Um, and it's much, much worse
1: now. (laughs) So was that list, um, were those jobs that were coming back to the U S from China, so, and you're saying that was their seventh on the list?
0: Seventh on the list of countries that are being reshored from. Oh, being yeah. reshored from. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they think that that's maybe not accurate. And just
2: okay. to probably build on that point, when you look at the number four exporter from China, it's SAIC Motor. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of stuff with electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that the reshoring initiative pointed to in their report was the majority of those things coming from Korea and other places in Asia dealt mm-hmm. with electric vehicle batteries, mm-hmm. components, other things related to those vehicles. SAIC Motor in China. That's that's what they do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So well, think about
1: it. Like some of the major hubs that we see going in the battery hubs, like what is it in Tennessee? You know, where they're establishing these battery manufacturing plants and the entire supply chain right around them in the same area, Mm -hmm. just to so they don't run into these issues.
2: Well, supply chain visibility has always been sort of a a critical issue, catch term, whatever you want to say. It's real now. It's Mm -hmm. never been more real than in in the last eighteen
1: months. A lot of it uh, made me think of, I don't know if you guys got a chance to read the article, America is Running Out of Everything by mm-hmm. Derek Thompson in The Atlantic.
0: I saw it, yeah.
1: And it was just, uh, I thought that it, um, you know, because you talk about manufacturers pushing the issue, where I think we're really at a point where consumers are going to start pushing mm-hmm. the issue as well. Because, uh, you know, the pan- uh, from the article, uh, Thompson writes, the pandemic and the supply chain breakdowns are a reminder that the decline of manufacturing can be felt more broadly during a crisis when we run out of, well, damn near everything. And we're talking about like shortages of. I mean, people worry about you know toilet paper and canned goods. But when we're having problems with uh, you know semiconductors, when nothing is getting made, and it has a real impact on prices skyrocketing, and. Uh, availability, especially when there was a little bit more disposable income uh, not being there, I think consumers are going to push the agenda a little bit more in terms of reshoring.
2: Well, what it's really going to come down to is are they willing to pay more? And Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about that a little bit more in some of the stories down the line in terms of worker shortages and strikes and what that's going to do to the price of things. Well, if we stop sourcing from a lot of these lower cost countries, are we willing to pay more? Mm -hmm. Are you willing to pay more You know, a couple
1: thousand dollars more for a new vehicle because those things were made here in the U.S.? The other thing I didn't that I have never contemplated was how many of the containers are made in China. So we're having a shipping container right. shortage and 90% of containers are made in China. Like of all things to start making, yeah, make containers. Well, that's where all the steel is. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I can't I can't think beyond how they're going to do it. Just first of all, do it. Just make them. Sort it out. Yeah, just make them. All right. Uh, Anna, what'd you think of that article? Uh,
0: I thought it was interesting. Um, and, you know, we saw... Like, we're seeing evidence of this um, this reshoring daily, I think, now. So I feel good about the fact that something is being done about it in some areas. Like, you know, we just ran a story this week about a rubber glove manufacturing facility that's coming to Virginia. Mm-hmm. It's going to add 2,500 jobs and, and make critical PPE for the medical supply chain. That's really, really important. And we saw problems with that during the pandemic. I saw yesterday um, a story about a solar panel mm-hmm. manufacturing plant that's being built in the U S mm-hmm. that's another um, you know, the solar supply chain has been long known for being very China intensive and in some of the costs that are involved in getting those materials over here. Uh, that's a big deal. I mm-hmm. mean, so this stuff is happening. Uh, the article was really good at the Atlantic has, does some great work. Um, mm-hmm. They've been covering a lot of these issues like for a long time. And I'm glad that, that people are taking notice of some of the, they have some great writers on staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's compelling. It's mm-hmm. compelling and scary at the same time.
1: All right, let's move on to our next most popular story this week. Taiwan's Foxconn has a deal to buy Lordstown plant in Ohio. Foxconn Technology Group has reportedly reached a deal to buy an auto assembly plant in Ohio from Lordstown Motors. The move will help Foxconn in its pursuit to enter the electric vehicle market and could give the electric truck startup a $280 million cash infusion. Fox is paying $230 million for the plant and bought some $50 million in highly valuable Lordstown Motors stock. Lordstown Motors last month said that it might not live to see 2022. The old GM plant is located near Youngstown, Ohio, and at its peak, it employed 10,000 workers. The purchase seems odd because in March. Foxconn said it was considering making plants in its ghost town plant in Wisconsin or in Mexico. Anna, what did you make of this story given that the two companies in the headline not really known for honesty and execution? <laughs>
0: I know. This is like a distrust themed episode of the podcast. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Wisconsin. So here in Wisconsin, when you mentioned Foxconn, you might get a pretty dark perspective on this. Yeah, you get the cringe. Yeah, we had a pretty massive and very public Foxconn con. Um, There were many of us in this industry who saw that coming. Foxconn has pledged some massive investments and Um, you know, they plan to take billions in offsets and credits from Wisconsin. Now the project has been described as quote, largely abandoned. Mm -hmm. And it scaled from about $10 billion initially to like 600 million now. And 600 million is no small potatoes, but it does reflect the hard truth. I would say that Foxconn who has also made promises in other States that it has failed to deliver on is to be taken with a very large grain of salt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what could happen here in Lowrystown? Um, You know, the company's in a pretty precarious position, as David mentioned, and I worry that they've bet their future on a company that can't be trusted. Um, I do think it's a good thing that that Lordstown is unloading real estate. You've seen that with other manufacturers, especially during the pandemic, like um, McLaren um, sold their factory during the pandemic and just basically said, like, hey, we're not in the real estate business. We're manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Um, It freed up like a couple hundred million in cash. It's not a bad idea. I just worry that Foxconn could screw this up. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know, they're not afraid to go back on their word. We know that. We've seen it countless times. Um, and let's just acknowledge that this is being characterized as a non-binding agreement to negotiate the sale.
3: Mm. It
0: is far from over. It's not a done deal. Anything could happen here. And if it does, like, can Lordstown even survive that mm-hmm. hiccup? You know what I mean? Like, right. say it doesn't even work out. Can they get past that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know that's how bad things are. I think for them right now.
1: Right, uh, Jeff, your thoughts on whether or not they're going to start making electric cars in Lordstown?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the one thing that I guess where I'd have some caveat of hope is the fact that back in uh, May they signed a deal with Stellantis. Okay, mm-hmm. so they do Foxconn does have a deal there where they're working with a major automotive company, major auto car maker, for more connective devices that go into the vehicle. So it's not vehicle manufacturing per se, but it is in Foxconn's wheelhouse, Mm -hmm. and there's an automotive connection there. And when you are dealing with a partner of that size, having this type of potential infrastructure that Lordstown would offer from a production perspective, there is a benefit there, and they're getting a pretty sweet deal. Let's be honest. It's a big building and a lot of potential assets for what they're paying. Mm -hmm. The other potential benefit, if there is any type of infusion in cash into Lordstown hopefully you can keep those folks employed. I mean, yeah. there's hundreds of people employed there. That's a small com- – not a small, but it's a community that depends or was very optimistic anyway in what Lordstown Motors was going to do. So there are those positives here. And, again, there is that – I could see this one working a little bit better because of that connection, because there is some – not just manufacturing infrastructure, but automotive manufacturing infrastructure with this facility. If mm-hmm. That's what Foxconn's plan is. I think they said they want to have like 10% – of the EV market within the next ten years, mm-hmm. whether it's components or vehicles, they don't know. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to say. Yeah, and, eh, yeah. we're going to either make the parts of the car. I don't yeah. know. Whatever That's works a, out. Yeah, we'll, we'll very see what happens. big number yeah. too. Yeah.
0: Like to just be like, well, we'll figure it out. <laughs>
2: yeah, They,
1: they just want to so, be a part of it. Like, right. uh, so
0: <laughs> just invite us to the party. We just want to be there. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. We just, won't say. We won't even. <laughs> so so this is a FOMO type purchase. Yeah. They're just they're just worried exactly. about missing yeah. out. They yeah. just want to be part of it. So in May they signed that deal with Stellantis to for a joint development to uh, what is it? They're going to make infotainment systems, telecommunication and computer system integration, AI intelligent or AI based applications, 5g communications, e-commerce channels and smart comp cockpit integration, which all sounded like a better play to me because, you know, let Foxconn, the consumer electronics company do the consumer electronics. Let Stellantis do the auto build autom- the cars. Yeah. Build, make the cars. So, and it just, it, it's always seemed off to me that Foxconn wanted to get into uh, automotive, particularly EVs. And uh, if you remember in February, Foxconn announced a partnership with Fisker to make, quote, the world's most emotion-stirring eco-friendly electric vehicles. I don't know. It, they That's called, a lot of words. Yeah. They called it or they call it it's still they still call it Project Pair for personal electric automotive revolution.
0: Ooh, that is emotion stirring.
1: (laughs) And so the plan calls for Fisker and Foxconn to collaborate on this new vehicle. And Foxconn said that it wanted to start making more than 250,000 pairs per year with production starting as soon as Q4 2023. I mean, we're in Q4 2021, and we still don't have a car or a plant. Well, actually, that's not true. They got plenty of plants, nobody in them, and no equipment.
0: But if you're Foxconn, you just say whatever you want. Mm Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then, like, dare people, like, you gonna believe it? Yeah,
2: not? well, I mean, they've got enough money, <laughs> they've oh, got true. the resources that if they want to get into a market, they can buy their way in. Mm-hmm. And I mean, right now, they seem to be really well, they're at least good, really good in Wisconsin, and manipulating a lot of tax dollars to, to get support for what they want to
1: do. So, mm-hmm. it does it is there that much sort of like fast money in EVs right now that that's why we're seeing so many. A startups in electric vehicles and also other companies trying to get into the market?
0: I mean, everyone is under the same regulatory requirement and the yeah. that timeline's getting shorter and shorter. So yes, I mean, I don't know if I'd call it fast money, but there's a I, lot of money to be had.
2: I think there's also a lack of confidence in the major automakers in terms of really making a dent because they've had how long to do it oh. and they haven't. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. GM thinks I mean we ran a story about GM's Big goals in terms of EVs being a part of them doubling their revenues in the next couple of years. Yeah, well, they're not doing it yet. I mean, they just had their most important EV recalled. Yeah, so that's a problem. Ford maybe, but they've got a limited number of EVs out as well. And then Toyota's struggled. They've they've never had a clear vision on their electric vehicles. So I think it's more opportunity that stems from a lack of confidence in those big guys. The little guys are going well. If they're not going to do it. Maybe we can. Mm-hmm. Foxconn's not a little guy overall. They've got tons of money to throw at something. You've got somebody who knows how to build the shell. They can put all the stuff inside.
1: Yeah. I really enjoy like these grandiose statements like we're going to double revenue or sales within two years and then forward looking statement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whatever. I mean, you just got to come out and say it. Ah, See if they check back in 2023 or whether or not we made the car." They're
0: like, we can do whatever we want and people still make agreements with us. That's right. (laughs) So we'll just keep saying whatever we want.
1: What I mean, what No is, one
0: has checked. But we did this a bunch of times and none of it worked. Yeah. I mean, that
1: was so far away in uh Wisconsin. Yeah, it was yeah. 2017.
0: It was a long time ago. Uh
1: yeah. what is that negotiation like but with Lordstown and Foxconn at the table? And they're just talking to each other like, "No, but but really though, right? Like and like you stay here, I'm going to cash the check real quick." Uh I don't think it's
2: worrying about cashing the check. It's more about how much is the check actually going to be? Oh, gotcha. They might say it's
1: 230 and then give them a check for
0: less. Take it or leave it.
1: Yeah. All right. Our third most popular story this week. Hypersonic missile passes crucial flight test. A few weeks ago, an elite team finished the first free flight test of the Hawk, or the Hypersonic Air Breathing Weapon Concept Missile. Raytheon worked with Northrop Grumman to build the prototype for DARPA, and the test was a success. The Hawk was released from underneath the wing of an aircraft. Seconds after it deployed, the missile's solid rocket motor boosted it to supersonic speeds. The Hawk's scramjet engine ignited and accelerated the missile to hypersonic speeds above Mach 5. The successful flight is the next step toward the eventual tech transfer to the U.S. Department of Defense for the U.S. Air Force. Like we've seen with autonomous weapons, hypersonics have become the new frontier for advanced weaponry. But Anna, I think you're going to ask, is this weaponry necessary?
0: I think you're going to (laughs) ask. I am going to ask that. Um, (laughs) Give her a
1: (laughs) T-shirt. She
2: just turned a T-shirt. Yeah,
0: somebody, I'm going to put that on right now. Um, It's my understanding that the U.S. has several hypersonic weapons in development and that Russia and China have also each developed a hypersonic weapon and are working on missiles as well. Um, So it's a bit of an arms race, though. Some have questioned the practical applications, as you alluded to. Mm -hmm. For example, and I'd like to get everyone's take on this, but I read one take on the Union of Concerned Scientists All Things Nuclear website that said, um, the precise capabilities that United States hopes to gain from hypersonic weapon development remains unclear. The Department of Defense has yet to articulate a clear need for these weapons or a mission that ballistic missiles, perhaps equipped with maneuverable reentry vehicles, could not accomplish more cheaply and effectively. So... I don't know. Do you see the applications as being critical? Or are we simply jockeying for position in an arms race that's nondescript at this point? And Jeff, I know with your military background, like you often have contextual considerations um, that you put out that, that I don't think of or David doesn't. Any thoughts on like what this is really for, if it's really necessary at this time?
2: <laughs> necessary is always tricky, right? Because mm-hmm. there is a, always a race. And when you're looking at Russia and China doing stuff, right now Russia, I believe, has the fastest missile on the planet. It's like Mach 2 or 3. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So when you look at Mach 5, you're looking at something that goes a mile a second, which is kind of mind-blowing. The one thing, and I, you know, we were talking a little bit about this before, when you look at ground-based applications, I don't know, think that hypersonics right now are really within that genre um, or where, or of applications. But just because of the way that these things work, they seem to need the, co- the cooled air that, that is generated when you're moving. So if you're in a plane, you're already going pretty fast. You fire the missile. It's mm-hmm. able to take that and basically refuel itself using that motion. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why it's important for it to be on a plane. So I think that's where we're at right now. and I think as far as the the need for it, there's always going to be someone who thinks when you can strike first, that's the best. Mm-hmm. So that's really where a lot of this, in my opinion originates. You can get it off sooner right now, there's really nothing out there that can detect or I should say stop. they can detect it, they'll know it's coming, you just moving Mach five, yeah, mm-hmm. so there's nothing that can shoot it down. Reliably, right now, there's been a lot of different theories even on how you would even go about trying to stop a hypersonic weapon. Mm-hmm. Because I know Boeing, I think Boeing was one that they had, they're trying to figure something with satellites around, you know, around the earth, around using space, but they think that might be too slow mm. because it's too far to go. Mm-hmm. So, when you're looking at that, one of the things that, so as far as coming out in terms of how applicable it is, how important it could be. Yeah, if you can strike first and they can't get to you, that's a huge advantage. The other thing is I think there's going to be applications that go beyond weaponry with this type of technology that we can use to propel something. Mm-hmm. Whether there's people in there, whether it's supplies, whatever the case may be. I mean, if you're using hypersonic technology to launch supplies, I mean, think about that. Mm-hmm. You could put it on someplace in North Carolina and send it to Africa. I mean, there's, there's a ton of different potential applications there beyond weaponry for hypersonic technology, in yeah. my opinion. Amazon
0: Prime Hypersonic?
2: <laughs> Forget the drones. <laughs> They're already on it. No, Hypersonic drones. <laughs> it's like it's the like equivalent of what's those things you know, like? The tubes, you know, you'd stick the thing in like at the oh, bank. Oh, the tube you know? technology. At the bank, yeah. 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 Let's
0: no, make it, that thing Hypersonic.
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, the, new, the prime of the future is like within the hour, no matter where you are in the no world. No matter where. The other thing I was just
2: going to say too is I do think this could potentially stir more conversation about who responds because it's so fast. Mm -hmm. Once you do detect it, you're going to need to respond very, very quickly. Can you trust a human being to do that? Are you going to start getting into like that AI assessment Mm -hmm. of things? Mm -hmm. And then that opens a whole nother uh, Mm -hmm.
1: dialogue. As long as it's AI defense, not AI retaliation. You're still still shooting something. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, kind of to your point, Jeff, I think, uh, well, I don't know how necessary these weapons are, but in the context of, you know, you need to be – the first to strike, you need to be able to strike first. I do like the idea of advancing this technology so that way it can go into something else. You know, uh, as I've said before on the podcast, I'm a big, um, I'm excited by hypersonic technology and whether or not we'll see it realized in our lifetime or not is yet to be determined. But the idea of it speeding up travel, Mm -hmm. um, I find to be very exciting. You know, I think it could be revolutionary. Um, I also thought that this particular um, contract, you know, it was a, a $200 million contract that Raytheon and Northrop are, uh, are working on. So um, hopefully based on what they come up with, this like sort of um, Hawk technology, you know, goes into something else. And it comes from a long line of technology, actually. So originally it's building off of previous, or it's b- building off of previous scramjet projects like the X-30 National Aerospace Plane, which dates back to the 80s which when that was canceled, that work that went into NASA's X-43 hypersonic vehicles. And then that technology was built upon for Boeing's X-51 uh, X wave rider for the Air Force, which started back in the two, uh, 2000s, but has had test flights as recently as 2010, 2013, where uh, you know, it reached Mach 5 for 210 seconds. And I mean, it just made me look at this in context of, you know they started working on this back in the 80s, finally saw mm-hmm. it realized in a real aerospace application in 2013. And so whatever they're doing with the Hawk program now, it might be another, you know, 25 years before we see it actually come to fruition in any real tangible way. Right. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I think that's exciting and could stand to make a big impact.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But to your question is whether or not it's necessary. I mean.
0: Who decides?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in in my opinion, there's, No reason to go. This is how we push stuff forward.
2: Yeah. If you want to get the the most, I shouldn't say easiest, but the most straightforward application right now is for a missile. Mm -hmm. We take that and we go from there. Yeah. So I think
1: it is, yeah, I'll say it is necessary. Okay. Okay. Let's move on. All right. Our next most popular story. Chinese automaker sells SUV under the Dodge brand. Chinese automaker GAC Group is making its first significant vehicle – exports to Mexico. What is interesting is that the SUVs will carry the Dodge brand name and will be sold by Dodge parent Stellantis at its dealerships in Mexico. The Dodge Journeys were designed by GAC and built at its factory in China. GAC hopes to sell 4,000 Journeys in Mexico this year. Company officials hope to create a foundation throughout North America with an eye toward the U.S., long a target for China's auto giants. Anna, is GAC's entry to the U.S. market going to be the Dodge Journey?
0: Uh, I don't think so because the Dodge Journey was discontinued in the U.S. last year because no one bought it. <laughs> and if you, like, saw a picture of it, you would. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's, like, like, even the most recent model year was panned, like, so hard by the critics. Mm-hmm. And they called it outdated and boring and everyone hated it. But it was pretty <laughs> much the cheapest, like, three three row SUV that you could buy. Mm-hmm. And still it only so- sold 40,000 units in 2020. And that by comparison, like Toyota's top selling RAV4 sells that many in a month. Mm. So the journey was kind of a dud on the U S market. And now Dodge is trying to sell it in Mexico where the demands for U S made quality and top features are not as high and competitive or, you know, competition is not as intense. Um, some commenters on our website called this a bad move and I just don't see it. Like, Chinese companies have been building vehicles for a long time, and the idea that there will be quality issues lurking behind the Dodge brand doesn't really account for the fact that China has a sizable auto industry already. I mean, in 2019, China accounted for something like 30% of global vehicle production. They are not new at this. Secondly, these cars are not being sold in the U.S., so if you don't want them, please (laughs) certainly don't move to Mexico and buy one, okay? But they're not – I mean – like, I know people are like, what What about the future? What's this mean for the future? But for now, it's really a nothing issue, in my opinion. I don't see the problem.
1: Uh, Dodge, or Jeff, is it smart for uh, the company to sell, essentially license the Dodge brand? Well, it's what they do.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, GAC is basically, as I understand it, sort of a contract manufacturer for a lot of big automakers in China. They make cars for Toyota, they make cars for Honda, and they sell them in China. So those are two brands that have extremely positive reputation uh, as far as reliability goes. So I wouldn't be worried about there. It was an interesting choice Mm -hmm. (laughs) as far as the vehicle to pick. Like Anna was (laughs) saying, I mean, (laughs) as far as midsize SUVs go, this was like, it wasn't even in the top 30. Mm-hmm. For sales, which says two things. Number one, it wasn't even in the top 30, but there are more than 30 options for <laughs> mid sized SUVs right now. So it's yeah. insane. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, if you're looking at just from GAC's perspective, this is kind of like a win win, right? They're basically taking a vehicle where there's no pressure because mm-hmm. the sales haven't been there before. They're not asking for a ton, but it does give them a footprint, it gives them a place where they can go in, um, build some cars, and they're close to the biggest market, consumer market, not car market, maybe in the world. Mm-hmm. So I think it's smart on their part. I don't think we have to worry about GAC being a huge player in automotive, in the US automotive market right now. Mm-hmm. But down the road, who knows? If this works well and we continue to see um, the big vehicle makers struggle with either different types of models
1: or mm-hmm. with electric vehicles, and they've got
2: a lower cost supplier like this or manufacturer,
1: who knows? So, the new Dodge Journey is based on the Trump Chi GS5, which is a compact cross- crossover produced by GAC, right? So the 2021 model of the Trump Chi GS4 Plus was launched earlier at the 2021 Shanghai Auto, Auto Show. What I was wondering is, are these already made and they just swap the branding on the car?
2: My understanding is basically the automaker says, we want to put all this type of vehicle in China. Mm-hmm. We want to get there. And GAC is the one that's going to make it. Mm-hmm. Toyota's not gonna make stuff in China. That's, yeah. It's just not gonna happen for all those reasons we just talked about before. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the bad environment there. So yeah, I mean when you look at the vehicles that GAC looks out, if you puts out, if you look on their website, they look pretty similar yeah. to,
1: to a lot of those Toyotas and Hondas and other um, similar vehicles. So another thing, Anna, that it made me think of is we cover a lot of these lower cost cars that are never gonna see the light of day. In the US market. And mm-hmm. because there's always whenever we cover it, like when we covered the Opel uh Opel Roxy SUM EV, yeah. um, you know, it got a lot of chatter on the site, but it's primarily going to be available in Europe. And it's still, I mean, you know, but it's an elect a new electric car that's gonna come in under seven thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So it's great to stimulate the conversation, but I feel like at the end of the conversation, it's always but it's not ever going to be here.
0: Right. And I think that has nothing to do with country of origin and has everything to do with the U S does not have a market for those tiny cars at Mm -hmm. this time. Maybe someday that changes, but not now.
1: The other one that I remember getting excited about, and I don't know if you guys remember it, but the Tata nano Mm -hmm. from Tata motors, because again, primarily going to be sold in India, but it was a car that was Mm $2,500. And so that got a lot of people talking and it's just like, you know, everyone's talking about whether or not it'll be supported in the United States. And it's like, it's never coming here And no matter what. So, but, uh, but I like that, you know, uh, I thought maybe it at least inspires automakers in the U S to think that maybe it could be done a little bit differently. Sure. Maybe (laughs) not. I think the, I I
0: think the U S auto lobby would have a lot to say about a $2,500 import coming in. I don't see that happening anytime soon.
1: Um, Jeff, to your point as to whether or not this makes them one step closer to going to the U S according to CNET, GAC Motor really wants to sell cars in the U.S., but between the current political climate and consumer attitudes towards Chinese cars, it doesn't seem like a realistic possibility. Well, then there's that whole structure that Tesla ran
2: into, right, Mm -hmm. with dealerships and and the whole sales distribution thing that's a little bit – I don't quite understand, to be real honest, Mm -hmm. but they would also have to deal with that. And, man, there's going to be tons of challenges and obstacles just just getting to market.
0: Well, exactly, and concessions that they would make, states would make for an American car maker like Tesla, they would not make.
2: And you would think all along the way, every time you have to, you know, deal with one of these obstacles, that's going to increase your pricing. That's going to increase all your costs. So, I mean, right now, people don't want to pay twenty eight grand for a journey. Mm-hmm. Are they going to pay thirty <laughs> five? Probably not.
1: <laughs> all right. Our most popular story on the website this week. Workers at all of Kellogg's U.S. cereal plants go on strike. Kellogg's cereal plants in Omaha, Nebraska, Battle Creek, Michigan, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Memphis, Tennessee came to a halt on Tuesday when some 1,400 workers went on strike. The pandemic has made the last 18 months hard on employees, which saw many Kellogg's workers putting in 12-hour shifts in mandatory overtime to meet demand. Kellogg's says its compensation and benefits are already among the industry's best, adding that employees made an average of $120,000 last year. However, workers say it took a lot to get there, including 74 to 84-hour work weeks. Employees worked 12-hour shifts, seven days a week throughout the pandemic. When When mandatory overtime was announced, workers were sometimes given just a few minutes' notice. Worker Dan Jordan, a packing machine operator who has worked at Kellogg since 2001, said, we do make good money, but we've given up a lot. Jeff, it's not clear how much supplies of Frosted Flakes, Fruit Loops, or Apple Jacks will take a hit as a result of this, but sometimes I think we got to look beyond how it's going to impact us as a consumer and realize that there are some really overworked people in the industry right now, and they are tired. Yeah, and well, what's interesting when when you get into there's a couple of there's a lot, quite
2: honestly, to unpack in this story. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start first of all with one of the things that that came out from um, from Daniel Osborne. He's the president of the local union there, and I thought this was just a really interesting quote because we're going to talk about pricing, we're going to talk about pay, but he, his quote was a lot of Americans probably don't have to pay, that probably don't have too much issue with Nike or Under Armour hats being made elsewhere, or even their vehicles, but when they start manufacturing our food <clears> down where they're out. Of the FDA control and ocean control, I have a huge problem with that. And that was in response to some um, company officials saying, well, we may have to move these jobs to Mexico. Mm-hmm. That that is scary when you when you start thinking. About, I mean, we've been critical of government oversight with a lot of manufacturing, but when it comes to food safety, mm-hmm. yeah, how, are you are you going to feel comfortable? I mean, that would make me check where something's coming from. to, oh. be, to be very honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was an interesting point there, and really not a very smart tactic, in my opinion, by Kellogg's to start start talking about that. And the other thing <laughs> is, they started they started talking about bringing in non union workers. Mm-hmm. How many times in the past? I don't know how many months we've talked about there's nobody out there taking these jobs. Mm-mm. Yeah. So if you're not going to pay the folks that want them, that know how to do them, and obviously have been doing them extremely well and working very hard,
1: how are you going to replace them? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, and part of the issue here is that it they've created like these, this two tier system of workers where they have the lower skilled um, employees and this other uh, class of workers. And that's part of the problem at these plants. Um, Just because they're not like... uh, I believe it's the lower tier that's unable... Like they have a a glass ceiling essentially as to what they can make and what benefits are available to them. Mm. So, I mean... If that's already part of the problem, how are they going to bring it Well, and
2: that's part in? of the negotiation because a lot of this, they call it the, the strike of a thousand cuts type thing because mm-hmm. it's been all of this stuff that's been going on. And really, it's more about treatment. And, th- and mm-hmm. this, is, this is not uncommon. We talked about this with Frito-Lay as well. Yeah. It's not all about money. It's about give us a decent working environment. Treat, respect what we want to do in terms of hours, health care things of that nature, that's really at the core of this. And in this instance, as well as Frito-Lay, you're basically seeing the company reverting to sort of traditional approaches and stances when it comes to dealing with a striking union.
1: We're in a different world now. Mm-hmm. That stuff just does not apply. Mm-hmm. No, uh, Anna, I think you would agree that uh, we've talked a lot about how the pandemic is ch- pandemic has changed a lot of things. And we've talked about, we back as recently with the Frito-Lay thing, talking about workers becoming more emboldened. And I think mm-hmm. this is just another example of, A, that happening, and B, a workforce just reaching its tipping point.
0: Definitely. Um, and I agree with a lot of what Jeff said. I mean, the company does run a risk here in saying that this won't impact operations, that they will bring in their own non-union workers. They may wish to do that and plan to do that, but the reality may be drastically different. Mm-hmm. Um I, you know, the reference that Kellogg's makes to an average annual salary, I think we need to, I, you know, talk about that a little bit. I think that was misleading. Mm-hmm. I think it was intended maybe to sow some confusion or maybe some resentment um, on behalf of the public because it's such a high number. And it's not a very detailed claim because if you look at it, really, I mean, the kind of hours these uh, workers are putting in, as you mentioned, 70 something to 80 something hour work weeks 12 hour days 7 days a week. So let's take that 120 and cut it in half cuz these these people are working two jobs essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's not fair to assess it in that way I don't think. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, they're saying that, that as you mentioned, that sometimes they're getting like a few minutes notice on overtime. Like that is just bad management. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not I don't believe that that's necessary. And if you think about how the pandemic brought to light some of the challenges that working parents were already having, you know, think about that scrambling to make arrangements for your kids. Maybe you can't pick them up from school because you just found out you have mandatory overtime five minutes ago that is not justifiable Mm -hmm. (laughs) when we know how high tech production tracking is these days, get a freaking and on board, you you know, like no wonder they're angry. I I just think it also like underscores what we've been learning more and more over the years. And that, that compensation is just a small part of the picture. And I think Mm -hmm. you mentioned that too. Like, workers want to be paid well of course but the pandemic also sort of compounded this narrative around people want work life balance that's really important to everyone they want to have a job and they want to have a personal life too that's not too much to ask mm-hmm. and i think that the the companies that are seeing these strikes happen in in their workforce that that aren't typically striking yeah. you know the food industry as as we've learned is they're they're not known for worker striking these workers are fed up. We need to deal with
1: it. Kellogg's serial workers haven't gone on strike since 1972. Yeah. 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 So, and you're right about the work-life balance. And I think part of it, I don't know if these workers were being taken advantage of or just a victim of the circumstance because for 18 months, these were essential employees, right? These people were treated or talked about in the media, at least as heroes. Mm-hmm. People would uh, go the extra mile to show appreciation for these uh, these workers. They were getting paid for it. But I think that appreciation is over. And I think that burnout is so real mm-hmm. that it is just not a sustainable model that was happening at uh Kellogg's. And I I don't think they should be surprised. You know, I don't I think talk about bad management. You can't sit there every week with mandatory overtime, 84 hour work weeks and think we got this sorted out.
0: I would manage that for like two weeks. There's no way that I could do that for a prolonged amount of time. And you're right. Like for a while, they were saying like we need to do this to support the the country and the economy. We need to, people need these products in their homes. We got to support the grocery stores. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, how many times can you say that? How long can you say that before people are just like, "All right, but something has to give here because mm-hmm. this is our our lives." You yeah.
2: Know? So let me ask you guys something here. So when I think of Kellogg's, the first cereal that comes to my mind is actually Raisin Bran. Okay, Okay. So you're in the store. You're looking at Raisin Bran. Kellogg's is going to be one of the higher-priced versions of Raisin Bran. There's going to be all the generic stuff and all that. There's going to be a price discrepancy that you'll absorb because you you feel it's a better quality product than some of those other ones.
0: Two full scoops, Jeff. Two
2: full scoops, Mm -hmm. absolutely.
0: They say it on the box.
2: At what point does that price discrepancy take you away from the name brand? Because in this case, when they talk about some of these food has – really tough margins. Yeah. Pennies on the dollar. So if they need to mm. increase wages or anything like that or do things that are going to cut into operating costs, hire more people, whatever the case is, that is going to result probably in an increase in price for mm. that product. So at a consumer level, how much of that are you willing to absorb? Because not everybody's going to understand the backstory in terms of why prices went up. Mm-hmm. They're just going to know the store raised prices. Yeah. So if you're looking at it from Kellogg's perspective or just the consumer perspective, that is something that needs to be taken into consideration. But like, In your mind, what is that? Do you have that, like an an amount that you're willing to still pay for the higher priced
1: product? Uh, No, but I, when it comes to cereal in particular, I am fine with the generic alternative, Um, which, and I always have been. So I've always been a cost conscious consumer, and I'm already essentially priced out of most of Kellogg's um, products as a result. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, there's not a breaking point. how about you, Anna?
0: I don't know that it's clear though that this is the issue that would cause the price increase. We see a lot of food companies raising their prices because their cost of supply is going up, like their mm-hmm. raw materials or you know yeah, food mm-hmm. costs are up. Um, it's not clear that that this worker situation would be the root of that. I mean, there are a lot of these people are just saying, we don't want to work so much. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
1: Haven't food prices already gone up substantially in the last few months? They have. Yeah. 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 So, and I mean, uh, at some point anything can cost too much, but I mean, Kellogg's has got to figure it out. Everyone's trying to figure it out right now, but we've seen, I don't think when Kellogg's comes out and says that the company's compensation and benefits are already among the industry's best, well, that might not be good, about, good enough. Anyway. But I think that's probably dated. Okay. Yeah. And again, mm-hmm. we're in a new age here, mm-hmm. so, but it's like everyone, uh, as I talk to manufacturers and I'm hearing a lot of the same things, you know, like, Oh, we increase wages, 10%, you know, all the things that they're doing and they're still not getting any movement. Well, keep trying, you know, like, uh, you got to keep trying new things. Yeah, don't like, stop. Yeah. Uh, it's not just like, Oh, it's over. Um, I mean, we've talked about it before too, but cereal has already like taken a he- heck of a hit. Like uh, it was down incredibly, like uh, it was down a lot until last year when schools closed, mm-hmm. and then uh, cereal sales went up seven percent. Mm-hmm. But I mean, so far this year they're down almost eight. Mm-hmm. So kind of oh. like getting back to normal. Yeah. Um. I mean, not for any effort at my house because we are consuming <laughs> just handfuls of yeah, shrimp.
0: and. And the fact that this plant is running night and day, like I'm surprised to hear that. I guess because uh, I thought that that at issue here with some of these workers was that comfort food was still very much in style. Yeah, because people aren't going to restaurants still. A lot of people are not, Mm -hmm. you know. So you're still everyone's still eating at home. So I think groceries are. I don't know. I thought that they were still hanging in there, but
1: I'm doing my best. Yeah, even
0: though you are satisfied with potentially one and a half scoops of raisins. You don't even know. David. It doesn't even say how much is in there.
1: Well, I'm not the one in the house that eats it. So if they are unsatisfied with the generic alternative... Ask a (laughs) three-year-old. Yeah, (laughs) you got to let me know. Um, So that two-tiered system that I had mentioned earlier, just to give a little bit more on that, it actually gives fewer benefits and less pay to newer workers, which has been a big part of the problem. And I don't think... I mean, if Kellogg's comes out and says, well, we're paying the ones that stick around more than anybody else... And it just takes a lot to get there. I don't know. I think it's just. Well, I think that's where the
2: union, the union wants a little bit more just conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, it's been 72 since they've really had to do something radical in terms of getting their, their labor agreement worked out. Um, So this is what they have to do to get people's attention. That's what they're going to do.
1: And it's really hard. We've heard it all the time. It's really hard to get manufacturers past and not just manufacturers. A lot of companies past the, this is how we've always done it mentality. All right. Let's move on to In Case You Missed It. Uh, the segment where we like to talk about stories that maybe weren't as popular on the website, but still could make a big impact on the industry going forward. Uh, and if you guys are cool with it, I was going to go first. No. Kind of says a lot about things around here, but it's fine. Well, since no one has anything to say about it, I'll go first. Um, <laughs> Toymakers are racing to get products on shelves amid supply clogs. The basic fun company... Did something crazy this basic week. Basic fun. Basic fun. Yeah. We're not even talking about yeah. the top-tier fun companies. It's not that this fun. Just it's basic just like sort of
0: your basic yeah. fun. <laughs> it's okay. Well, either,
1: either you way. Way, like your job, it's pretty basic.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> the basic fun toy company decided to ditch one-third of its Tonka mighty dump trucks in China. Now, transportation costs are exploding to about 40% of the retail price. A Tonka truck costs $26 Last year, the transportation costs were only 7%. Now this doesn't include the cost of getting the product from U S ports to the retailers. The basic fund CEO, Jay Foreman, a basic name for a basic CEO said, (laughs) we really had no choice. Now some are, some companies are flying their toys because shipping costs are so high that it's about the same as, uh, for expedited flying as it is to ship it here. Now, Still, toy shelves could be a little more bare and prices could be significantly higher. Even when toys get to the U.S., labor shortages are making it impossible to get them from the ports to the shelves. Now, toys that are made here are also down because of the labor shortages, not making as many toys. Now, a lot of this, a lot is on the line for all of this because it's a $33 billion U.S. industry and holiday sales account for 20% of the overall industry. Now, I was just thinking, it's either a good time to give less for the holidays, or maybe have Christmas in July.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like Santa's gonna be dropping off a lot of gift cards.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You're not gonna wanna use them until next year. Cause that was another thing that was crazy about this story, was that because of the shortages, they're already, companies are already, retailers are already demanding that they start shipping next year's holiday season uh, stock starting in March, and in June. Just yeah. so and, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's uh, I mean, I understand that when you talk about toys, a lot of people you know kind of lose it. But you know, in the long run, we're all given too much right now. Anyway, agree. Yeah. Um, I was just kind of interested what you guys thought about this because I found it interesting that the company a company finally just said, you know what, keep them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, uh, do you think this is something that we're going to see more of where, I mean, essentially it's just going to hang out and they're not even going to try getting it over here?
2: I think this is a microcosm of a lot of different industries, supply chain challenges right now. Mm-hmm. And I think we're just operating and we're just talking about sort of a new norm in terms of labor negotiations and, and the labor situation, same thing with supply chain. Mm-hmm. There are some industries that are just going to have to not reset, but just reacclimate themselves to a new normal because yeah. this is toys aren't the only industry that's having this type of problem. Yeah. I think it's it's obviously coming into focus because of the time of year and the seasonal demands and people probably don't appreciate the number of jobs and economic activity tied to all of that holiday spending sometimes. Mm-hmm. They're thinking about, well, it's exclusive to stores, it's exclusive to delivery. No, it gets into manufacturing, it gets into a lot of other areas. So it's interesting that it's hitting now and I think there's more depth on it within mm-hmm. this article which was really interesting. There's a lot of other supply chains seeing the same type of dynamic right now. Now I don't know if they're dumping as much stuff like mm-hmm. that, just leaving it where it is. <laughs> yeah. and at some point that's gonna come back. Yeah. But definitely those
1: those issues in terms of getting the product to people's consumers' hands. Yeah, it's- mm-hmm. well, talking about the logistics industry, didn't like it was like five different industry groups got together and wrote a letter saying, like, hey, we're all burnt out too. Yeah. And it was it was like what? Airlines trucking, mm-hmm. uh, all came out and said like you know, we're almost done with this also. And I mm-hmm. mean that, I know that it's a lot of, uh, you know, they're trying to get attention, but that could be mix make, make for some real hairy uh, environment during the holidays.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a good point. And with the truck driver shortage, like who's going to drive those Tonka trucks? Mm-hmm. They, they're, I mean,
1: yeah. Need to
2: get them there. Well, I was just uh, kidding.
0: I meant like driving. Drive. Oh, gotcha. Oh. Sorry. Oh. Gotcha. I am Sorry. <laughs> I'll go now.
2: Hannah was making a light-hearted remark. That's what threw us, <laughs> right? Just like, all oh, right. I thought she was coming. Who off. is she damning now? Oh no, no, she's <laughs> talking
1: she's making about a joke. innocent children playing with oh, trucks. Okay. I am not a monster," <laughs> <laughs> said the monster. And no, <laughs> it's the first thing a monster would say. Um, the uh, the the thing I was talking about with uh, U.S. toy manufacturers. Another thing the article mentioned is that. They're still making toys, but because of the labor shortage, there's a bunch in their product lines they can't even produce Mm -hmm. because some of these toys take six or seven workers to produce. They only have two or three. And so you're going to see a lot more basketball nets, they said, instead of like much more complicated.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. The basic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you guys saw, but Amazon actually like started their Black Friday deals early because they are too trying to like urge consumers to Get their orders in now because they have no. I think even Amazon that's sort of saying yeah. they don't know what's going to happen. You know, yeah.
2: all that just-in-time methodology is kind of being putting on
0: hold not, right now. Not working right like, now. Yeah.
1: I've read that a lot where it's like you want to have if you want to make sure you have it for the holidays, it's middle of October. If you want to make sure you have it, and I don't know how you guys do it, but I'm a December twenty-one you know, like with a full list still to go?
0: Well, my kids, um, they are working on their Christmas lists throughout the year, Mm. but there's always like an updated version that gets uh, issued like every month. So I don't like it, whatever they ask for now is not going to be like what they really, really want in December. That's the hard part about it with little kids. I feel like,
1: well, so that was another interesting, sorry, we can get off this topic in a second, but like What what happens what happens every year? There's like some toy that breaks out Mm -hmm. and is the Furby, the Tickle Me Elmo, you know, the toy that nobody saw coming as the popular toy. Well, when that happens, there's not going to be any more. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's going to be I think that's going to be a huge impact because all of a sudden kids are going to go, you know, the Tonka Mighty Dump truck Mm -hmm. is going to have a great ad and, you know no one can get a truck mm-hmm. um actually and Toys like,
0: R Us is gone Toys R Us is gone this is, sad, this is why this, this is, really is why teenagers
1: are so great it. at Christmas
2: time because the two things they want are money and to be left alone <laughs> and I don't have to worry about going to any
1: place for either one of those so <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness money and silence um all right well let's move on Anna what was your in case you missed it this week
0: uh I'm gonna hit you guys with some more serial talk I hope that's okay with everyone <laughs> Very good. Uh, Kellogg's has partnered with Wendy's fast food restaurants to produce a breakfast cereal that was inspired by a Wendy's menu staple. Mm. And it's the Baconator.
1: <laughs> just,
3: just kidding.
0: <laughs> it is the Frosty, <laughs> um, which is something I've never actually had. So I found it funny um, how much the people of the internet disagree on what a Frosty is. Mm. So I'll describe it as a malt milkshake hybrid. And my apologies if this does not jive with your interpretation, mm. but... So the cereal is called Wendy's Frosty Chocolatey Cereal, which is a terrible name.
2: Mm-hmm. But it's accurate. I mean mm-hmm. it yeah.
0: is. <laughs> Wendy's Frosty Chocolatey Cereal. <laughs> it's too long. Mm. <laughs> uh it's a limited edition, so I guess they were just like, just slap whatever on it. <laughs> yeah. Just describe it.
1: Right. Go go frost some uh cookie crunch and call it a frosty cereal.
0: Frosty chocolatey cereal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will feature chocolate marshmallow pieces and cocoa coated round cereal bites, which sounds all right. Mm. Um, I think the larger story, though, is all the innovation that's been happening in the breakfast cereal market right now, which I think
1: innovation.
0: Well, I thought that it ended with Clark, Yeah, Clark Griswold's non-nutritive cereal garnish <laughs> that he invented in <laughs> National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. But um, General Mills actually launched 16 new cereal brands last winter, okay. like because of the aforementioned like rush on home comfort food and stuff um you're right to point out that that is probably going down now that kids are back in school mm-hmm. um and people are back at work you're just not sitting in front of the tv with your cocoa puffs or your wendy's frosty chocolatey cereal to the degree you once were um right.
2: what is the <laughs> composition is going to be is it going to be like a puff that kind of like disintegrates in the
1: milk or yeah, something? yeah it's like a like
0: cereal a, bite like so a count whatever.
1: chocula is what i'm thinking You know, a combination of, like, Mm -hmm. a chocolate puff with a marshmallow chaser. Frosties are amazing. Yeah.
0: Do you dip your (laughs) fries in the cereal is my question.
1: The only thing a Frosty is good for is making you go to a place that sells ice cream.
0: Whoa. See? Man, what is – what? The Frosty is controversial. The things
1: that you have eaten and the things that
2: you are so particular about kind of blows me away.
1: Yeah, Frosty. It was just, like – It was the first time and last time I had it was just disappointment. I'm like, oh, so somebody left real ice cream out for a bit and then served it to me?
0: Yeah, that's so weird, though, David. Like, so ice cream is fine with you, but God forbid anyone put that in a blender?
1: Yeah, gross. (laughs) Gross? I don't need it, yeah. It doesn't need to be like, I need spoon or straw. I don't need something served with a spoon and a straw.
2: You are not allowed to complain anymore about your kids'
1: dietary habits. I don't know where they get it. (laughs) Because... I don't know. <laughs> no, they're picky. I'm particular. No. <laughs> um, actually, while we're talking about uh, crazy cereal, the cereal industry is, I mean, getting out of control. Like, and the licensing. Everything is being licensed. I know. It's like, weird.
0: Like everything, they have to take an existing brand. Kind of like when, when only um Hollywood could make like remake movies for a while. Oh,
1: yeah. It's yeah. kind of
0: like that with cereal. They're like, is there other food that we could just make into a cereal?
1: Yeah. The, how about uh, this?
0: Let's use spaghetti. Yeah. People like that. Well,
1: I mean, I was going to talk about all the Little Debbie licensing and how people are actually giving their kids cosmic brownie cereal. Um But... We were talking about how because when you initially wrote about this story, I was like, "Please be the chili." You
0: know? <laughs> I know. I want exactly. a, yeah.
1: I want a chili cereal or like, and it made me think there hasn't been a real move on the meat cereal market.
0: That there is no savory cereal market yet.
1: Yeah, ex- a bacon cereal. Well, so there was a post made a small move on savory cereal uh, last year or two years ago when they did chicken and waffles. And they did like a maple bacon cereal. And I definitely tried chicken and waffles. And that sounds terrible. It needs some work. It needs some work. It's hard to overcome the mental aspect of ingesting a cereal shaped like a chicken drumstick. That was hard. And then it sounds you, like you, dog food.
0: you put milk on it.
1: I don't. Oh, man. I eat cereal dry.
0: Oh. <laughs> Who are you?
1: Uh, unless I'm using it as a topping on ice cream.
0: The monster <laughs> on this panel, I ask you.
1: Yeah, what we've learned today is that don't question
2: David on anything regarding cereal or toy market knowledge. I mean, he's, oh. he's on it.
1: That was another thing I wanted to like, the toy, like, it's opening up this really cool boutique toy industry, though, where people are getting extremely customized toys, making very short runs. And that's kind of cool that it's opened up that you know, maybe people pay a little bit more shop loco for these sort of uh, mm-hmm. um. Glad I could provide morning. that segue for you. Well, Jeff, speaking of <clears throat> your out of this world oh, topics, what's your final thought? Or, uh, what are we at in case you missed it this week? Oh,
0: David, <laughs> what did we miss, Jeff? Tell well, us. Well,
2: I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the oldest man ever to go to space is gonna <laughs> blast off next Monday or next Tuesday, excuse me, and it's mm-hmm. none other than Captain Kirk. William Shatner will become the oldest man to ever go to space. He's going up uh, thanks to Jeff Bezos and Blue Origin, and he's only going to be up there for it's it's the short ride. Mm-hmm. But first of all, I thought it was cool that it is William Shatner. First of all, I did not realize he was ninety years old. Yeah, and if you look at his profile on like IMDb, mm-hmm. holy cow, yeah. that guy has done everything. <laughs> yeah, there is no genre, no type of media he has not been a part of. No, so it's it's impressive, and he's actually. I almost expected more elaborate commentary from him, like what he expected and what it meant to him. And he's just kind of like, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Going to go to a space for 10 minutes.
0: Is, is that the short run is 10 minutes? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. So I thought it was kind of interesting just because there is more of this going on. And it's mm-hmm. an interesting way to get some notoriety around it, I'm sure, you know. This was also a jab at Elon Musk a little bit. We've gone the whole podcast without talking about these guys, so I mm. thought I'd bring this in
1: just Elon to make sure Musk. Uh, do are able to talk about it. Do they skate the same billionaire in space blowback with a Shatner going to space because he's a lovable, lovable old cultural icon? Or do we still, like, after he goes, they're just like, <laughs> yeah, we're, we've got a lot more problems out there too. I'm
2: pretty sure Musk is going to come back with um, Captain Picard. Oh. and send him up, you know, oh. just to kind of one-up
1: him a little bit? Well, they did just deploy the first, you know, Russian team to film the first movie in space, so maybe we could get, like, the Shatner-Picard uh, oh, to man. redo their Uber Eats segment up there. Sure. Okay, sure. I
0: don't think that Shatner is, like, a like a lovable old man. I I think maybe he's... a little
2: polarizing.
0: Yeah, we have a reputation for being kind of a disliked in Hollywood. Oh okay. all right. So all right. 10 minutes is probably as long as anyone wants to be stuck on a rocket yeah, with Yeah, would,
1: would you want would you want be stuck in a rocket with William Shatner? Uh, yeah, I would just have him do spoken word poetry the entire time. <laughs> just like we got 10 minutes, Shatner start talking. Just bring him something to read. Dad, nice. if you have not listened to his spoken word art, if you will, it's worth a listen. Really? Oh yeah. Yes. It is uh, it is very good.
0: Uh, he's like the king of the long pause right hmm? oh yeah he, yeah yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah and it's just like you know he was like smoking and drinking in a dark room and he's not reading off anything he's just going free association <laughs> just like darkness space darkness and space quiet
2: i'm still thinking of jim carrey's something <laughs> of jim carrey's impression of him was always the best
1: Yeah, I don't... uh, Because we just fall apart here. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, Jeff, for those not watching, Jeff had a real near miss with a new expensive machine. There was some panic in his eyes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, very good. Let's uh, move on to our final thoughts this week. Anna, uh, what's your final thought?
0: Uh, So I've been talking about how much I'm enjoying fall, and I am. But uh, we went to the Apple orchard last weekend with my kids, and we're like, we are going to pick apples. Mm. And they were super excited. And then we got there, and I was like, how do we pick apples? And the lady was like, uh, well, our apple crop was not very good this year. So we are not, it's an apple orchard. Let me say this again, that we were at an apple orchard Mm -hmm. and, uh, she's like, our crop was not very good this year. So we are not letting people pick off the trees, but we have a lot of apples inside in the store and you can pick them out of the bins. And my kids were Mm -hmm. like, we hate this. Like (laughs) they were so disappointed. I'm like, I'm sorry guys. We'll try to find another orchard next weekend. This is super lame, but. Um, so we got a lot of apples. We have been eating them. They are delicious. But I really wanted to pull them off a tree.
1: Yeah. You st- I mean, what's interesting, and that's always been my issue at an orchard, is that you still came away with probably more apples than you were <laughs> anticipating. We,
0: ha- we got a peck. Yep. You always mm-hmm. got to get a peck. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. Uh, very good. Did they have the apple cider donuts?
0: Yeah, we got those. We got like $45 worth of apple items. Mm-hmm. We got cider. We got donuts. We got a peck of apples. And um, everyone got a little pumpkin, you know, like the tiny pumpkin oh, yeah. that they put in their rim and then rode on with markers.
1: I got to imagine that they weren't advertising the fact that you cannot pick the apples. They were not. Just like, come for apple picking out of a That we have already bucket. done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can't afford baskets, so they're like, just dirty five-gallon buckets. <laughs> I
0: know. It's was like, did I just pay to go to the grocery store? Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I already do this.
1: Oh, man. Uh, Jeff, what's your final thought this
2: week? David, I'm going to have two final thoughts. You're just going to have to be okay with that. I am okay with it. First one, actually, if anybody has not seen the industrial distribution um, top 50, big 50 list, Mm. um, it is great. Um, It's a video that we do every year. Anna and Mike Hockett put it out, break it up into three different videos, cutting out on the 50 biggest distributors. I always look at it just because there's a ton of market knowledge in there, just about the industrial sector. I I think you guys did a great job with it. Um, Eric and Alex did a great job putting it together, too. So if you get a chance to go to inddist.com, check it out. Thanks, um, Jeff. Definitely yeah. worth it. Um, it's good. Thanks, Jeff. Good work, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. The other thing, which is on all of our minds right now, is playoff baseball. The mm.
0: Milwaukee Brewers. Oh. Sorry,
2: um, Atlanta Braves fans. It is the Brewers in four for this first <laughs> one. I'm calling it right
1: now. Man, that is an aggressive call. Nah. Yeah. Confident. Nah. Confident. Confident. <laughs> So you're saying <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're saying that if we string uh, string this podcast for another hour and 36 minutes that's okay but we can't go an hour 37. That's when the game sure. starts. Sure. That's when the game yeah. starts. Well, I got to edit it so up. <clears throat> All right. Well, because we love our video producers, we're going to wrap it up this week. I don't have a final thought. I was going to uh, piggyback off of Anna's and say how we're going pumpkin, uh, possibly going to get uh, to a pumpkin patch this weekend, but we've been like possibly doing that for the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. So You
0: could just go to the store.
1: Mm. See, I can't, I can't. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, pumpkin picking has never been, we've never actually gone in a field mm-hmm. and done that. It's just like you go to the, the whatever trailer you want in size. Yep. That's where you go and try not to drop it on a child. Yeah. That was a reality I didn't know existed. Also, you can't send them down a slide without holding them. They go pretty quick. (laughs) Learned that one on an oversized slide last year. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So everyone stay safe and be good to each other. All right. Before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. To email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email, the podcast, in the subject line. Remember the first 20 people to reach out, we'll get that free Today in Manufacturing podcast t-shirt. So let us know your size. Otherwise, Anna's going to get one too. Maybe. (laughs) You can also make sure to subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters. Make sure that you get the podcast in your inbox first. All right. For Jeff and Anna, I'm David Mante. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week.